It's Monday morning, and you know what that means. There's another edition of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I am your host, Dave Holcomb. Again, we come at you from footballnation.com. We welcome you on whatever day or morning you may be listening. Um, We're going to get right to our special opening segment this week. We had uh, the Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame induction in Canton, Ohio on Saturday. So we're going to be covering that uh, in the opening minutes of this podcast. There were six new inductions to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And in case you missed it, those six names, starting with the oldest player, uh, defensive back Jack Butler, uh, center Dramani Dawson, a newer player, much younger than Jack Butler, um, defensive end Chris Dolman, defensive tackle out from Seattle, Cortez Kennedy, Running back, the most popular player of this class, most more than likely the most popular player, Curtis Martin, and left tackle Willie Rofe. I, I hope nobody um, takes offense when I say this, but but looking at these six names, probably besides Curtis Martin, but even including Curtis Martin, sometimes I would say that this um, class is just a really underrated class. I think it's full of players that were just underappreciated while they played. And a lot of these players have been out of the, out of the league um, for more than five years. Of course, you have to be out of the league five years to get into the Hall of Fame. But some of these guys have been 10 years or more. Of course, Jack Butler goes back all the way to the 1950s. So I think these players were really underappreciated during their time and it's nice to see these guys finally make the Hall of Fame. Of course, Curtis Martin is a big name. Of course, fourth all-time on the rushing list. Still fourth all-time. Was fourth when he retired. But even him, I would say, he, he was just Mr. Consistent. He had so many years in a row. Um, I believe it was 10 years in a row of uh, plus 1,000 yards rushing. And obviously, that's an incredible mark. Um, but only made one all-pro team. Um, which was one of his last seasons in 2004 at age 31. So that was a pretty incredible mark. That was his best season with six, 1,697 yards rushed, rushing that year in 2004, uh, helping the Jets to the division round. But but other than Curtis Martin, these guys really, if you, you name them to, to guys, um, to, to football fans, I, I would say the average football fan would probably not recognize these names. So not that they're not deserving, they obviously are, um, but it's nice to see that uh, they get some recognition finally in uh, a sport that they played so well and and really dominated in. And we're going to go through a little profile of each player here at the beginning of this podcast. We're going to start out with Jack Butler, um, a former Steeler, played for the Steelers in the very, not very early days, but the Steelers were founded in 1933. Uh, but played for the Steelers before they were really the Steelers, I'd say, starting in 1970. Um, Butler played from 1951 to 1959, made four Pro Bowls and three All-Pros. All of those were towards the end of his career and actually had a 
league-leading 10 interceptions in 1957 at age 30. He was a defensive back, but it was nice to see uh, such an old-timer get in, a guy uh, definitely deserving, that some, and it also educates uh, us younger fans and and lets us know who who these these guys are, especially Butler, someone who of course played over 50 years ago. So moving right along to the class, let's go next with the the offensive tackle Willie Rofe. He played uh, his career in New Orleans and Kansas City, mostly with New Orleans. Made 11 Pro Bowls, three All Pros. Uh, there aren't a ton of stats for offensive linemen, which is why it's so difficult really to judge how good they were. But as as silly as we believe the, the Pro Bowl selection has become in the modern day age, that's really the only thing that we can measure offensive linemen and, and really defensive linemen as well, although there is the statistic sack uh, for, for defensive linemen. But offensive linemen, it's really just the Pro Bowls and the All-Pros. But Rofe, of course, had those 11 Pro Bowls. That's a pretty incredible mark considering he played 13 years. So there were just his rookie year, he did not make the, the Pro Bowl. And uh, a random year in the middle of his career in 2001, at, at age 31, that he didn't make uh, the Pro Bowl that year. He also didn't play the whole season. He only played in seven games that year. So that was probably a reason why he did not make the Pro Bowl that year. And even in his last year with Kansas City at age 35, he only played in 10 games and still made the Pro Bowl, possibly maybe just on his merit. But in 2004, his second to last year with Kansas City was his was one of his all-pro seasons. So this was a guy that was really good for a long period of time into the middle of his 30s. Again, Once again, that's Willie Rolfe, New Orleans Saints, and Kansas City Chiefs. Moving on to the other offensive linemen, in this class, of course, it's an unusual class. Like I said, they were underappreciated. I think one of those reasons is because four of these six players played in the trenches. Two offensive linemen, two defensive linemen, and then a defensive back running back. So the running back, of course, has the biggest name. He has the stats. But uh, the center, Jermani Dawson, played his entire career for the Steelers, uh, just like Jack Butler did. Uh, Dawson played a little bit longer, made seven Pro Bowls, six All-Pros, them coming in the middle of his career from 92 to 98, he made the Pro Bowl every single year. I think the biggest claim to fame for Jermani Dawson was he filled the shoes of retired uh, center Mike Webster, who was who was also in the Hall of Fame, the great center from the Steelers' 70s teams and played into the 80s. And Actually, uh, Webster didn't retire right away. Uh, Webster and D- Dawson played together in 1988 and then Dawson took over the starting job in 1989 when Webster went to the Kansas City Chiefs I believe and then shortly after retired and and later on was inducted into the Hall of Fame but it it was nice to see Dawson who doesn't get as much attention as Webster does at at least in Pittsburgh or any in the NFL in general because he came after the great Mike Webster but he gets his uh, his due going into the Hall of Fame, a much-deserved guy. And and you know what? The Steelers have really had trouble filling that center position since Dawson retired in, in 2000. Uh, since then, Jeff Hardings was a pretty good starter. He was the starter of the first Super Bowl team for Bill Cowher in 2005. But since then, it was really um, a platoon there in center until they drafted Marquise Pouncey. And he, of course, is supposed to follow 
Mike Webster and Jermani Dawson now into the Steelers, great Steelers centers. So that Jermani Dawson, center for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Moving on to Cortez Kennedy, he played his entire career for the Seattle Seahawks. Of course, this was before the Seahawks were in the NFC, back when they were in the AFC West and still wore their silver jerseys. He made eight Pro Bowls, three All-Pro teams, and recorded 58 total sacks in his career and actually had three interceptions, which is pretty impressive, I'd say, for a defensive tackle. Uh, He got those interceptions, all three of them, in the last two years of his career. Uh, He was another guy that didn't didn't play very long. He only played 11 years, but of those 11 years, eight Pro Bowls. He didn't make the Pro Bowl his rookie year where he didn't start. His last season, he didn't make the Pro Bowl, and then a random season in the middle of his career in 1997. But here's another guy that retired in 2000, same as Dawson, and has been in the Hall of Fame voting uh, since, you know, since the middle 2000s, uh, the first decade of the, the new century. And finally, he gets his due by getting in on Saturday. Again, that's Cortez Kennedy. Played his entire career in Seattle. That, of course, I think hurt his popularity. Seattle wasn't uh, a great team in the 90s, kind of uh, all the way out there on the West Coast, kind of a forgotten team. They they did uh, make a little more noise in the, the NFL news, but not until Kennedy was long retired and was already trying to get into the Hall of Fame around 2004, 2005 when the Seahawks were going went to that Super Bowl. Kennedy was long gone by then. Moving on to the other defensive lineman, that is Chris Dolman. Now, Dolman didn't play his entire career with one team, mostly played with the Minnesota Vikings. He also had two seasons with the Atlanta Falcons and three seasons with the 49ers out in San Francisco. He played a lot longer than um, these other players. His rookie season was 1985 and then retired in 1999. So again, this is a player that has been retired for a long time, trying to get into the Hall of Fame. And and again, finally he did. He led the the league in sacks in 1989 with 21. Pretty high number that I I guess Jared Jared Allen passed this past year. And uh, that was the only year that Dolman led the league in sacks but had... Uh, multiple seasons where he had double-digit sacks, a total of 150 and a half sacks in his 15-year career, seven-time Pro Bowler and two-time All-Pro. Of course, one of those All-Pro seasons came in that season when he got the 21 sacks. So another player that I think has finally been given his due, uh, waited a long time to get into the Hall of Fame. Is I'm, I'm sure Viking fans can tell you that he was a great player, uh, he, he, what was nice, he ended his career with Minnesota at age 38. He came back and played for Minnesota in 1999 and started 14 games that year and, and had eight more sacks in his last season at age 38. A nice way to end his career and ended the career with the team that he started with. Again, that is Chris Dolan, defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings mostly, but also played in Atlanta and San Francisco. And to close out the 2012 Pro Football Hall of Fame class, uh, we're going to go to somebody that I think most of our listeners are going to know. Uh, It was nice to talk about the other players more to educate them or educate our listeners who might not have heard of the other players. But um, that last player is running back Curtis Martin. 
five-time Pro Bowler, only made one All-Pro team. I think I already mentioned that. Of course, in 2004, he had his uh, record uh, season, career best season with 1,697 yards, 12 rushing touchdowns. He ended his career with 90 rushing touchdowns and ended fourth on the all-time rushing list with 14,101 yards and is still fourth. He was not passed by LaDainian Tomlinson, who ended up fifth before he was retired. So once again, that's Curtis Martin. Of course, he played for the New England Patriots, but also played a good portion of his career for the New York Jets. And to close out this segment of uh, our Pro Football Hall of Fame segment, um, it was nice to end with Curtis Martin because this kind of this little transition um, goes into the article that I want to um, point out for our listeners out there. Uh, Ethan Dermers wrote an article: Twenty legends still waiting to be enshrined. So he named twenty players that were snubbed, and I'm actually going to bring up a player that he didn't mention: Jerome Bettis. Uh, Bettis has been waiting a couple years um, to get into the Hall of Fame. His first year of eligibility, I think Curtis Martin, Jerome Bettis, and Marshall Falk were all up. Marshall Falk got the nod over all of them. And I guess for some reason they don't want to put in more than one running back per class. So they they stayed with just Marshall Falk. And then this year was, was just Curtis Martin. Um, so Bettis will have to wait um, at least one more season. I I've, I think Marshall Falk was definitely better than either Curtis Martin or Jerome Bettis. But I think Bettis, to be honest, has an argument against Martin. Um, they were pretty equal in their career. There's actually an article out on our uh, Football Nation site that talks specifically about Jerome Bettis first, Curtis Martin to be honest, I guess it really doesn't matter if Bettis gets in next year. Who cares? Who cares who gets in first? They're both in the Hall of Fame. They both deserve it. So I, I just think it's funny how um, the the panel or the committee, whoever decides who goes in the Hall of Fame, they won't put in multiple guys from from multiple from the same position, which is very evident this year. They went with two guys from the offensive line, two guys from the defensive line, a running back and a defensive back. They were they tried to be very balanced. I think they should put in the best players. If if Jerome Bettis, Curtis Martin, you know, all all the best players are running backs, then put in running backs. And and we've seen that with wide receivers. We have there's a really great flux of wide receivers right now that are waiting to get into the Hall of Fame. And that brings up my next player, who I think should have gotten in a long time ago, Chris Carter. I really can't understand why this guy is not in the Hall of Fame. He was one of the best wide receivers of all time. I really believe that. And not just of his generation, but if you look at his stats, he is one of the best wide receivers that has ever played the game. And he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't understand why it has taken so long for, and still hasn't happened, for him to, to get in. And, and again, he's still still not in. Eight Pro Bowls he was selected to. He's on the 90s All-Decade team. He's fourth in career receptions. Eighth in career receiving yards and fourth in receiving touchdowns. That's pretty incredible. And he played in a, in a before this uh, decade, I would say, starting in the mid two thousands to present day of pass heavy NFL. He played before that, retired in two thousand two. So 
definitely his stats, you couldn't even argue, are inflated because of the heavy passing. He played before that. So this is this is a guy that I really, really believe should get in, and I don't understand. But there's a lot of other guys that are have been snubbed for a long time. Uh, and Ethan Dermers wrote a great article. I suggest you checking it out and reading it. So that's all we have for the Hall of Fame um, segment of this show, special se- segment for the Canton, Ohio ceremony that was on Saturday. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with our second segment. Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. Again, I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. You can reach me at my email or Twitter. My email is dmholcomb06 at gmail.com and my Twitter handle, dmholcomb. Drop me a line about today's podcast or any other previous podcasts or my other work. Or if you want to just chat about the NFL or or football in general, just send me a tweet. We can uh, chat away. But moving on in our show today, uh, next we're going to go to the Cleveland Browns, who had a new owner come in and buy them over this past week. Uh, that's Jimmy Haslin is the, the name of the new owner, and uh, a lot of the original uh, reports um, on online just wanted to talk about how Haslam has claimed himself to be a Steeler fan and, and how outraged Cleveland was that their team was being purchased by a Steeler fan. I've heard from other sources. I actually heard from a podcast that um, is out from two guys that live in Cleveland that I just started listening to. Um, If you want to check it out, it actually, I will advertise it on um, my Facebook page, which actually you should also check out, Dave's uh, Football News. Just search that in your Facebook uh, toolbar, the search bar, I, I mean. But anyway, on that podcast, they actually have said that he's he's Jimmy Haslin has said he's a Steeler fan and Raider fan, and he's and he's from the state of Tennessee. So not sure how true of a Steeler fan he actually is, or true Raider fan. He he seems to change colors very quickly, and obviously his new colors will be brown for the Browns in in Cleveland. And Haslam has been nothing but positive so far as he has said that he wants to bring a winner back to Cleveland. Haslam has also reassured uh, Cle- the city of Cleveland and Browns fans that the Browns will not be moving away from the city of Cleveland. And of course, the the, the previous owner, Randy Lerner, is selling the team. He was an owner that had bought the Browns, when they were an expand, well, they when they were an expansion team, he brought them back into the NFL in 1998, and also bought a Premier League team over in England. And a lot of the money that he he had was poured into that that soccer team over in England, and he just didn't seem to care about uh, the the Cleveland Browns. These are all the, the reports that I've read um, or st- uh, articles I've read online. Um, this past week. So 
overall, although he's a Steeler fan, although Haslam is actually a minority owner of the Steelers, and he's going to have to give up his share of that in order to be the majority owner of the Browns, this is a po- in the long run, it could be a positive move for the Browns. Um, of course, what I want to talk about today is the effects it'll have immediately on the Cleveland Browns. There have already been talks that maybe Mike Holmgren will be out, or Holmgren is on the hot seat. He is the vice president of the Cleveland Browns right now. Head coach Pat Shermer is certainly on the hot seat. It's a little too late to replace him for the next year because we're already in August already. Training camp has started, and Haslam just bought the team. So, so presumably, Shermer will be the coach one more year, at least. But even rookies like... Uh, Brandon Whedon, Trent Richardson, although I would assume Richardson is going to be a good player, but other guys like Colt McCoy, guys that were are, were drafted by the previous regime, the previous owner, the previous GM, previous head coach, if all these guys are out by 2013 season, all the, these players could be out as well, and it's a completely new slate for the Cleveland Browns, which in one way it's good. They in in a way they need to clean house. They need they're still a rebuilding team. They're in a really tough division, and they're they're towards the bottom half of the NFL. Well, definitely in the bottom half of the NFL right now. Maybe the bottom five teams overall. They're just not a very good organization right now, and and a change in owner could change that. It could. So this is a positive, but it's going to take a really long time. That they're going to have to build through the draft. They have to find stability in the front office with a GM, and of course stability on the field with a head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and everyone. And it could take several more years. But if Haslam says all the things that he he is saying, and does all the things that he's saying, then I would say it's positive for Cleveland. It's just it's just a very slow process to, to build a winner. They have had so many bad years and so many bad drafts, so many bad decisions over the last 10 years, really. It, it, it takes a really long time. So Brown fans have to continue to be patient, but it, it, there could be light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to take a real quick break, and then we'll come back with our fourth and long segment. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. This is a podcast that comes out every Monday morning. You can reach me once again, just to remind you, at my email, dmholcomb06 at gmail.com, or my Twitter, dmholcomb. And of course, check out my Facebook page for my football articles. The podcast will be up there every week and my other articles and I post other articles that I really like from the website on there as well. Uh, that page is called Dave's Football News. Search that in your Facebook search bar. So we're going to move on to our fourth and log segment. This is the part of our show where I say a statement and I either grunt, which means I agree with the statement, or I punt, which means I disagree um, so we're going to go right to that. We have three stories today, and we're going to start off with um, an article that I wrote a couple days ago um, going back to the Cleveland Browns and a former player 
that played for the Browns, Peyton Hillis, is now playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. Looking at that right now, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good deal for them. One-year contract, $3 million, pretty cheap for a player that, that could have a lot of upside. But my statement today, Peyton Hillis will get 1,000 yards rushing in 2012. Although I really like the way Hillis has, worked so, has looked so far in training camp, reports say that he is uh, in excellent shape. He is going to be a great complement back to Jamal Charles, but I'm going to punt here because I do not think that Hillis will get enough carries to get 1,000 a thousand yards unless something happens to Charles. Charles is that, uh, that guy in that backfield. Hillis is going to get carries. He's going to be, he'll probably clean up in the red zone. I, I don't see him getting 1,000 yards, though. It, it might be close, 700, 800 yards. Uh, I, I just don't see, I see Charles getting 1,000 yards, and it's been a really long time since one team had two 1,000-yard rushers. So in this, in this era of football with, with so much passing, I have to punt here. Moving on to the Dallas Cowboys, their first-round draft pick has had a, been in the news a lot, and unlike Peyton Hillis, not for good reasons. Uh, he's looked pretty bad, to be honest, so far in training camp. At least that's what the early word says. This, of course, is the defensive back out of LSU, the cornerback that the Dallas Cowboys needed so badly and traded up in the draft and gave up quite a bit to, to select sixth overall. So this was a pretty big move for Dallas to move up and take Claiborne. So far, has not been doing well. And so my my statement, going to my, my statement, Morris Claiborne is already a bust for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to punt that away. I think that, that although I came up with that claim, I think that's an outrageous claim to, to say so far. But the Cowboys selecting him sixth overall, they wanted him to come in and make an immediate impact. And it's pretty clear that Claiborne is not going to do that. He's already had some lingering injuries. He tweaked his knee in practice, this and that. Uh, to be honest, he kind of sounds like Des Bryant. Just Des Bryant has his own problems that are mostly off-the-field issues. Claiborne doesn't have the off-the-field issues yet. It's just he's, he seems to be banged up a little bit maybe and, and not performing to the level that they thought he could. But doesn't look like he's going to make much of an impact this season, which is a real hurt for Dallas as they really wanted to put a winner together this year. They thought this was their real chance. Tony Romo's getting a little older, but is still a great quarterback. They have other piece, great good pieces. They have, of course, that head coach um, and Jason Garrett, who's now in his second full year, did pretty well in his first year and a half. So th- this is a pretty big disappointment that Morris Claiborne is not pro-ready already um, in August of 2012. And to cap off our fourth and long segment, we're going to return to a story we talked about last week in Steelers wide receiver Mike Wallace. Of course, I I wrote an article about how he was hurting himself uh, by not going to training camp. We had a new article come out this week on footballnation.com that said that the Steelers uh, were hurting themselves, basically, that it was a bad idea not to sign Mike Wallace. That was written by Jared Argo Bright, if I'm saying that correctly. It was a good article. It was very well written and argued. Um, I disagreed, but to bring up the, the the issue again in our fourth and long segment, my, my statement, which 
to be honest, is going to be my hardest statement I think we've ever had on this show in our in our previous seven episodes, and today it would be our eighth episode. Mike Wallace will play in 2012. I'm going to grunt. I think eventually he's going to have to show up and play, although I don't know. I, I would not be surprised if he sits out the whole year. That's, that's really, I think, how bad it's gotten with Wallace and the Steelers. They really seem to be at odds right now. Uh, fans seem to be at odds, um, arguing about who is in the right. Uh, Jared and myself didn't argue, but we debated about it uh, on his article in the comments section about who was in the right here. Of course, he was on Mike Wallace's side, myself on, on the Steelers, team, the organization's side. So everybody has a different opinion on this, and it's just it's gotten pretty bad, and I don't know if it's going to be solved. I, I'm going to grunt, and I'm going to say it's just too much of a risk for Wallace not to play, even if he doesn't want to play for the little money that the Steelers are now offering him. If he wants a long-term deal with the Steelers or somebody else, it would be in his best interest to go out and play and and make the the Pro Bowl or the All Pro team and then get a huge contract in 2013. If he does not play, I would assume that he his offer offers will be a little smaller. Uh, he still could get really great offers. He's still in the prime of his career next year, but I would imagine those offers will be a little smaller. So I'm going to because of that reason I'm going to grunt on that last one. We're going to go to a quick break, and then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. And we're back here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host, Dave Holcomb. That's all we have for today's show. I'm going to leave you with a a softer news piece we have up on our website right now. A pretty interesting article written by contributor Jeff Bennett, Trading Places, Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders. And he goes into describing what the two careers would have been if Emmett Smith had played for the Detroit Lions and Barry Sanders for the Dallas Cowboys, and you know it, it's it's interesting to read um, the opinion of Bennett on what he thinks Barry Sanders would have done with a much much better uh, Dallas Cowboy roster, and of course Barry Sanders was uh, the Detroit Lions in the '90s. Would Emmett Smith be the leading rusher if he had played on the Lions? Probably not. Um, to be honest, I would imagine that the two of them would probably trade places on the rushing list. Barry Sanders would be, you know, Super Bowl MVP, three-time Super Bowl champ, and perhaps the all-time leading rusher, as where Emmitt Smith would be still a great running back, but I don't think people look at Emmitt Smith's stats and say, oh, he's the best running back ever. He was great, don't get me wrong, a great competitor, but not the best overall probably in the top five. I would say he would probably still be in the top five rushing all time, no matter what team he was on. But once again, a fun, uh, softer news piece that you should check out out on our website. Don't forget that Alex Reamer's podcast comes out every Wednesday. FN Today is the name of that podcast. 
and that comes out on Wednesday. And, and look out for our next episode coming out next Monday morning. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. That's all I got for this week. I'm going to go try and find some peace in my mind. <laughs>